0: Well, on the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about churches, money, but we want to talk not really in a positive way. We want to talk about bad things that happen. Churches die sometimes.
1: Yeah, they do, and we've seen that over the years, different places that we don't of that had sound congregations. that just seemed like they kind of just dwindled away, and they're gone.
0: Yeah, so we want to talk about why churches die tonight. Stay with us as we study on the Virtual Bible Study.
2: Or by emailing your questions or comments from CollegeView.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
0: And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible study. This is Thursday night, August the twenty seventh, twenty twenty. And we welcome you into our study uh, on the Virtual Bible study. My name is Greg Gwyn, my good friend Monty Overton is here in my seat. Monty, welcome.
1: Thank you, Greg. It's good
0: to be here. I'm sitting in Jacob C, who's out of pocket tonight, and so we'll be trying to do our best. He usually handles a lot of the technical ends of the matter, and we'll try to do our best without him. Kyle is running the board, as he always does so efficiently. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here.
3: Wait a minute. I Oops. think I got you. That's
0: all right. There, there we are. It's good to be here. Okay. Welcome, Kyle. Raise your hand if you want to talk, because I'm going to push your <laughs> button off over here. All right. So... We always encourage your participation in virtual Bible study, and there are several ways that you can do that. You can uh, get in the chat room, which is probably the most efficient way to do that, because we will see your comments, and so will everybody else who's watching the chat room window. So get on our website, log into the chat room, give your name or give yourself a, a pen name so we can kind of keep track of Who's commenting there? You might also in the chat room tell us where you're listening from so we have an idea of where some of our audience members are. Uh, Also, you can send us an email. Monty's going to be monitoring our email inbox. You can send us emails to questions at collegeview.com, and uh, we'll try to include those comments in the program tonight as well. And then also we've got a toll-free telephone number. 877-381-4567, 877-381-4567, and you can call and get online uh, that way as well. But we uh, uh, are looking forward to a good discussion. We always think our studies are better when we have audience participation, so join in in one of the ways that we just mentioned. We always send out on Thursdays uh, midday an update describing what our discussion will be for the virtual Bible study on that given night. And many of you, of course, get our email updates. But if you're not getting one of those on Thursdays uh, and you'd like to be informed ahead of time about our subject matter, send us an email to questions at com and just say, add me to your list. And we will be glad to do that. To our update list today, we sent out the subject, why churches die. And as Monty said, unfortunately, we all probably have had experience in knowing congregations, maybe congregations that we've been a member of, or at least congregations that we knew somewhat about that have died. They just dried up and blew away. They closed, they locked the doors, they sold the assets, they disbanded, they went other places. Congregations just die. And uh, that's a sad thing whenever it happens. But what would be some of the factors that might lead to that? That's what we want to talk about in our study today. So um, to our update list we sent out these questions. Number one, what do we know about the life and death of the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters two and three? Number two, are an outdated message and an antiquated mission the reasons why churches die? Churches are just not up to the times, for instance. Is that what it is? is? Is it because it's an outdated methodology? We'll talk about it. Number three, do churches typically die under persecution? Maybe it's because people, maybe, could it be that churches have died simply because things got so rough and hard and the persecution was so severe? Number four, comment on these things and the effect they have on the life of a congregation. Compromise, indifference, failed leadership. And then the last one, number five, what other factors might lead to the death of a church? And we've got some suggestions, more suggestions other than the ones I listed in the update that we'll include in that, in that question. Uh, all right. So we want to talk about this. Before we do that, Monty, uh, a, a little quiz. Not counting the seven churches of Asia, what churches would you think of that are mentioned in the New Testament?
1: Well, you got Antioch. You got the church at Jerusalem. I mean, when you think of Paul's missionary journeys, there's all the places he went there. Yeah.
0: Uh, Philippi, Troas. I I wrote down a, a brief list. As you mentioned, Antioch and Jerusalem. Troas. We know there was a church at Troas. Corinth, Thessalonica, Colossae, Rome. And that's not, in, that's not even including the, the seven churches of Asia that were um, uh, included, in many of them.
1: Well, as we was talking about last night in Judea, it talked about there were several churches there. Yeah. I don't know how many necessarily, but there was more than just the congregation at Jerusalem.
0: Yeah. Now, <laughs> my thinking on this, what I think is interesting is that even today, in a day of, of mass communication and easy travel... I'm not sure that we could name that many churches that we're familiar with today existing congregations we might could do, we might be able to do that but you know probably the average christian if you if you were put on the spot and called to called a, to name a dozen congregations that you're familiar with probably be hard to I mean you might if you spend some time dwelling on that you might come up with it but my point is it's interesting that those churches are still remembered here almost 2,000 years later. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the reason why is because they were mentioned in the inspired Word of God. That's yeah. that's, that's the reason why. But what happened to them? As far like, as we know, none of
1: them existing uh, anymore.
0: That's right. They died. They died. And so I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Famous churches, well-known, here 2,000 years after the fact, and yet, as far as we know, not any of those congregations are still in existence over that long period of time. Something happened mm-hmm. and they died. Uh, so uh, that's what we want to investigate. Uh, you know, what would be the reasons why? Now, talking about those seven churches of Asia, as far as we know, I did a little research on this. As far as we know, those seven churches of Asia, there, there's not any congregations in any of those cities where those seven churches were. I think in the modern day, probably a big reason why is because all that region, which is modern day Turkey, that's all Muslim territory mm-hmm. now. And the Muslims have pretty much driven out anybody who would identify as a Christian in my reading and in, in about two or three of those cities, there are small Protestant. Well, the, the, the description was small Protestant groups of a handful of people. Yeah. But, but, but principally speaking, there are no churches in those seven churches in Asia that mm-hmm. we read about in, in chapters two and three. And so I, I asked if anybody had any background and information on that. Uh, and Kent in Georgia sent in this, uh, information. He said, Christ gave a detailed analysis of the seven local churches. Ephesus was loyal in doctrine but lacking in love. Smyrna was commended because of their faith, being faithful in tribulation, however, warned them against apathy. Pergamum was commended for their collective faithfulness under extreme difficulty. However, there were individual members who were tolerant of sin. If they did not repent, Christ promised to make war against them with the word of his mouth. Thyatira was commended for their love and works, but rebuked because of their willingness to fellowship one guilty of what was identified as fornication and had refused to repent. If she continued to refuse to repent, Christ would cast her into bed with them that commit adultery with her into a great tribulation. Sardis had very little to commend them in their collective work as a local church. There was much activity, but little spirituality. They were alive physically, but dead spiritually. There were a few in Sardis who were worthy of commendation and had not defiled their garments. To these faithful brethren, the promise is made that they will walk with Christ in white and maintain their fellowship with him. Philadelphia is a faithful congregation of the Lord's people. Only good is spoken of them, and Christ sets before them an open door of opportunity. Laodicea, uh, Christ identified this local church as being indifferent. It was neither cold nor hot, only a tepid lukewarm, which was a sinful condition. This brought about a need for repentance. Undoubtedly, this local church collectively was financially well off and such had caused the brethren to become proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, rather than dependent upon the Lord. And so, Kent has given a sort of a rundown about those seven, pretty good summary, quick summary of the seven churches mentioned in Revelations chapter two and three. We call them the seven churches of Asia. Uh, they, they were living, active churches, not many of them not faithful. Uh, Of the seven churches, only two of them had no bad things said to them of the Lord. Uh, Two of them had only bad things said of the Lord. Uh, And so most of them were in between, some good, some bad, a a mix, a combination. Uh, But there, there were issues there that ultimately led all of those churches to disappear. And that's that's really what I think is interesting. I read a blog on the Internet where uh this woman author and, and her traveling uh, partner had gone to Turkey, rented a car, and drove to each of those geographical locations where the seven churches of Asia were located. And she said what we saw was rocks. I mean, just ruins. I mean, literal... Uh, archaeological ruins, but basically also spiritual ruins. there are no churches there, mm-hmm. so churches die now, I think probably the vast majority of those listening tonight are members of a local church somewhere or another in in a hundred years, in two hundred years, certainly in two thousand years, if time should go on and on. What would be true would the, Would the church survive in the location where you are? what would happen? Uh before we get into some of the negatives that might happen, I understand, and I think you would too, Money. that, you know, things change in a local economy, for mm-hmm. instance. And sometimes we've known of churches where basically the community just dried up. Yeah. Uh, and and there, there are no jobs and uh, nothing for people to do to sustain themselves. And, and the members had to move someplace uh, just to be able to sustain themselves, and so the church. Sometimes churches die because of I don't know what we just call it economic mm-hmm. realities. But other times, church, churches in vibrant communities have died, and that's what we're really interested in. Well, I think it's an
1: important to study because uh, if we don't study and understand history, then we're doomed to repeat it. And so, if we don't want the church here at College U, or the, for, the, for those listening, the church wherever they. Live and worship to die. Then we need to try to learn what we can about why other places have, have had that problem, and and do and take steps to correct that at where we're at. I think you're exactly right.
3: Any thoughts on that, Kyle? Oh yes, I mean, we'll history. We have to examine it, and hopefully, I can. We can, I guess we can hope that the members of those churches uh, that they may have been scattered by uh, uh, some other outside. Uh, something happened on the outside. Maybe they scattered other places. Hopefully, the church, the buildings and the congregations moved elsewhere, I hope. But, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, but there's nothing there but ruins these days. But hopefully, they spread their message elsewhere, though, so.
0: Yeah, exactly yeah. right. All right. So, let's ask the question. I, I'm going to actually reverse the order of this because I think the first, the, the answer to this question is pretty easy. Do churches typically die when under persecution? Uh, for instance, if the government were to crack down on us, Money, uh, well, and they said, you, you can't meet, you can't, you can't speak your message, we, we won't let you have assemblies, we won't let you preach your gospel. I mean, I, that's a foreign notion to us, we've never experienced anything like that, but there are places in the world where that certainly has happened. Would that, would that, would be your opinion that that would bring a, a death to churches historically
1: speaking as we look back through history and what we read about in especially in the book of acts when churches were persecuted even though the members scattered as we read about they went everywhere preaching the gospel and the church actually grew as a result of that persecution the members that stay are going to be strong members. They're going to grow and become stronger members because of this persecution. Because if they're too weak, then they'll just leave anyway. And so you're going to have a church that's comprised of strong members that's willing to do the work the Lord told us to do, and they actually wind up growing from it. Exactly right.
0: And we have that, we have an inspired <laughs> record of churches under severe persecution in the first century. And and as you referenced there in Acts eight uh, verses three and four. Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women committed to them in prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They had to they had, many of them had to actually flee Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but it didn't stop them from preaching the word. And the church continued to survive in Jerusalem. Yeah. As long as we knew in the New Testament there was always a church in Jerusalem. So the persecution did not kill the congregation in Jerusalem, and actually affected the spread of the gospel all over the world. In Colossians chapter one, verse twenty three. Paul says, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature under heaven. So under those times of strong persecution, the church actually thrived. Mm -hmm. Now, I hope that would be the case with us. I hope that if we if a time does come, it's, it's hard to imagine because we've really never experienced anything like that at all. But if a time were to come. When uh, maybe the government or other forces really cracked down on us, persecuted us, tried to stop us from proclaiming the message, of Christ. I hope that we would be imitators of those faithful first-century Christians and say, "We must obey God rather than man." You know.
1: Well, that needs to be our goal. And I think, like you say, we don't know what's going to be the future. We don't know how things are going to be. But we probably should start working on conditioning our minds and our thought processes to where we've done got that decision made in advance. We talk about that kind of thing, about other things. But I think in this, we need to make up our mind in advance so that when the time does come, we've already got a plan about how we're going to go about continuing to be faithful Christians. We don't have to wonder what we're going to do. We've done made up our mind. We know what we're going to do.
0: I think that's a really (laughs) key point. In other words, I should know right now. I've never experienced that. I've never experienced someone holding a gun to my head and saying, you can't proclaim Christ. But right now I need to know how I would react if they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I do think we need to have our uh, so, so, sort of our, our determination already built up. They're not going to stop us from serving God. Yeah. I mean, we see that the Apostle Paul talked about how Demas had forsaken
1: him, having loved this present world. Demas didn't have his mind made up sufficiently. And when they come on difficult times, he loved the world and wasn't ready to let go and maybe be persecuted to the death over it. And so he left. He went somewhere else where, where things was not so tough. Well, we need to be the kind of person with the quality of character in serving God that no matter what, we need to make up our mind now. We're going to do what God says to do. Yep. And if it means we die for it, all that means is we're getting a head start on going to heaven. Yeah. It's not a bad thing.
0: Yeah, exactly right. It's hard to look at it that way a lot of yeah. times, but it, that would be exactly the right perspective. Um Kent in Georgia says no, the book of Acts demonstrates that spiritual growth can often does take place in such circumstances. The reason because of, is that the, that dead wood is eliminated from the local members, which is what you were just saying. The weak ones will quit, but the strong ones will be stronger still. Uh, Mohan in Chicago says the church actually grows according to the book of Acts in times of persecution. I think you're right, Mohan. He had also said about the seven churches of Asia. He said those seven churches were once alive but eventually died because of lukewarmness. There were still a few faithful as, as we outlined uh, in Kent's email. Alright, we're gonna grab a break. When we come back, I think an important thing to ask is, are churches dying? Are they going to die? because their message and their mission are no longer applicable it just doesn't fit the world today the church is a is like an like a model a ford model a fords were cool in their day but you wouldn't want to, You wouldn't want that to be your only car, you know. Today, uh, driving a, a Model A Ford out on uh, the interstate highway at 30 miles an hour would probably be really dangerous. dangerous. It would. It wouldn't be very good. So, is the church like an old, outdated car or something? Uh, we want to talk about that when we come back from this break. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this.
2: Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this.
4: Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number any time. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon.
0: Here's some quotes worth pondering. Expressing thanks is necessary, not because God needs our thanks, but because we need to be thankful. Be a building block, not a stumbling block. Count your blessings, not your woes. Man, wish I'd said that. And we're back on the Virgil Bible study uh, discussing why churches die. I tell you, Monty, the thing that sort of made me think about discussing this topic um, was the fact that I, there's indications, and we're gonna, uh, in the update, in, in the uh, trends section that we'll have a little later in the program. A lot of surveys are indicating that there are some churches that are gonna dry up and never come back from these coronavirus mm-hmm. shutdowns. And it got me to thinking, you know, could, a, could our reaction to something like this be a factor that leads to the death of churches? And I, I do think it can, and I do think, that if it happens that way, it's an indication of some real spiritual issues.
1: Yeah, churches that would uh, just fail to start assembling again and being what they ought to be because of this, I think it's revealing that they were were weak to begin with. It's bringing out their true character, I guess you might say. And so I think we need to be really careful to examine ourselves and make sure we have the character that we should have, that we're not just fooling ourselves so that when some minor difficulty like this coronavirus comes up that we're not just throwing up our hands and giving up
0: yeah i think that's the key you know obviously adjustments have to be made Mm -hmm. to certain things and and adjustments have been made to the coronavirus Mm -hmm. but that has to be secondary to our main purpose which is Mm -hmm. faithfully serving god and if we if we would allow a distraction like the coronavirus to derail us from doing our god-appointed work then that indicates not just a problem of the coronavirus that indicates a problem a deeper set spiritual problem that does lead churches to die
1: yeah i mean if you get enough members that are have that attitude and we've got this virus or we're so afraid of getting it that we're not going to assemble anymore then and i've heard recently and i don't remember where it was at now but there's some some churches that you know they haven't assembled for probably six months now or so yeah Yeah. so uh, you you know you have to question their their attitude, I guess, they and they need to be questioning their self. I mean yeah. they it needs to be a self examination thing. But if if they're gonna let something like this stop them from worshiping, you know, ultimately the first century Christians, when they went out to worship, they've had to sneak around and go different ways to get wherever their appointed place was because they might get arrested and tortured and brutally killed. So their lives were their good lives were yeah. very, very at it, was, risk. it was a at risk yeah. thing, a big deal. Yeah. And we're letting a virus that has a 99% recovery rate sometimes keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing. And So I think we really need to... Uh, the Bible talks about how different, I think, it, like I it said, Tyre and Sidon will rise up against the Jews in judgment. Jesus said, I think it was in Matthew... Well, I've forgotten that. I looked it up <laughs> once this week. But anyway, he said, because if they had had the preaching done there they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes and that and one one greater than that was there even like jonah going to nineveh jesus talked about but i think if we're not careful those first century christians that went to and worshiped when they knew it could mean their absolute torture and death are going to stand up against us in judgment because they went and worshiped anyway and even though it was a fearful thing for them maybe they did it and then we let something like a, a disease that's really in the grand scheme of things not that big a deal stop us
0: yeah Now I know last Mm -hmm. week when I was away uh, that Jacob and Josh and Kyle talked about judgment matters, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of judgment involved in this, and we understand that, and we've been we've been careful to say we got to honor people's judgment. Mm -hmm. But bottom line is, like you said, we've heard of churches that just completely stopped meeting altogether in the middle of this crisis and haven't met for months. I don't know. That's a judgment I couldn't abide, yeah. uh, f- for sure. Uh, let me catch up with the chat room here real quick. Uh, uh, concerning whether churches die under persecution, uh, Jacob, who's uh, away tonight but listening and chatting in the chat room, says they don't die by persecution according to the book of Acts. Uh To your point about having a plan ahead of time, if if persecution should arise, Dwight in Iowa says having a plan in advance is true in our present time and for the future. Uh, uh, Let's see. Okay, Brian in California brings up something. I'll try to get back to this Brian later. Uh, He mentions churches not not bringing their young people Mm -hmm. along. We'll comment about that later. Uh, Mon, uh, Dwight says he agrees with you, Monty, about uh, you know not letting this keep us from, the, the current crisis keep us from doing our uh, god appointed work all right let's let 's go to this question about the, an outdated message about a uh, an antiquated mission you know the mission and message of the church. It's just old fashioned. It's out of touch. It just doesn't get the job done. It's not providing for people what they need. And the reason why churches are dying is because they're not offering people a valuable service. They're not, they're not giving people anything that's necessary. Why should I go to church when I don't get anything out of it? It it doesn't, it doesn't appeal to my modern life. It doesn't address the issues of my day to day living. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go to one of those old churches. They, that's a. The church is two thousand years old. How could something that old possibly even come close to addressing my twenty first century person? Well,
1: I think the first part of that, set, as far as it's saying, is that an outdated message. From the time of Adam and Eve, man has had to deal with sin, and as long as this world stands. People are going to be sinning. And so the message isn't outdated. We've got a sin problem. We're going to have a sin problem. The world will always have a sin problem. And we need help with that. And it's a problem that the message tells us that we couldn't fix ourselves, so Jesus had to come do it for us. And so the message is that if you, we don't have to die and go to hell. We don't have to suffer eternally. The message is Jesus fixed this for us if we'll accept it and follow his terms and conditions in the matter. And so the message isn't outdated. It's not... It's, it's still as applicable now as it
0: was when Adam and Eve committed the first sin. I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, that, that sort of scenario that I was posing mm-hmm. to you is actually an affront to the all-wise eternal God. Yeah. Because basically, if you really stop to think about it, anybody who would present a case like that is saying, God just, God just wasn't smart enough.
1: He wasn't on top of his game.
0: Yeah, he just, he, he, he just didn't have it in him to be able to design a timeless institution that would always fit the needs of man. Mm-hmm. And so if you take that position, you're basically throwing that up to God and saying, God, you failed here. You didn't, you didn't get your job done. Ephesians chapter three, beginning verse 10 says, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the scripture claims that the church was a part of his eternal purpose. He'd Mm -hmm. been planning this from eternity. And we're saying, yeah, but it was a failed plan. Basically, if we take that view, I don't take that view. And I know you don't. It's just a wrong view. Now, concerning the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, as you said, addresses the problem of sin. I've always thought it was so interesting in the Bible, in the the first chapters of Genesis, man loses access to the tree of life because of sin. Mm -hmm. In the final chapters of the book of Revelation... He regains access to the tree of life, and what's in between is God addressing the problem of sin that separated man from mm. the tree of life, and that's that's really the story of the Bible. God and and God's the one who gets sets rules about that. Yeah, about how we get back to that. In Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, all the Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If it's a good work and you need to be doing it, the scriptures tell you about that. Mm -hmm. So it's not outdated. It's it's our eternal creator telling us what he identifies. Not what I think, Mm -hmm. but what he identifies as a good work. That's enough.
1: You know, an an automobile manufacturer, when they manufacture a car and you go and you buy this car, it's got an owner's manual comes with it. And that owner's manual tells you about how often the oil ought to be changed, what grade of oil ought to be used in it, uh, and and various other things about the car, how to maintain it and keep it to working in its best function for the uh, longest possible time. God manufactured us. He made us. And he's given us the Bible as an owner's manual, so to speak, that tells us how we need to behave and what things we need to do so that we can last for the longest period of time and ultimately have that eternal home in heaven when we're done here on this earth. And so... He's, as the manufacturer, he has the right and the knowledge to tell us what we need to be doing. Exactly. We can't figure that out on ourself. The Bible tells us that the way of men's thoughts are, are, are foolishness. You know, God's ways are higher than our ways. You know, you used to talk a minute ago about people that would say, well, I'm not getting what I need. Really and truly, it's they're not getting what they want. Exactly. Uh, they've decided they want other things. I know there's a popular talk show host I used to listen to some, and he would tell people they need to find a good church to go to. And somebody asked him, well, what are you what is a good church to you? Well, one with good programs in it, one with programs for the uh, unwed mothers, one for, and he went on to describe some other social program type things that that's what he was, opinion was, what made a good church. Well, you don't read about those kind of things in the Bible. The Bible's dealing with a far and vastly greater problem that we have than unwed mothers or whatever else we could imagine. It's dealing with a problem that's going that has set, sin that separated us from God. And we need to get back in, with god and the only way can do that is following his instructions and that's the message of the bible god's given us instructions on how to be back in good relationship with him
0: yeah
3: exactly right Kyle, mm-hmm. Kyle, any thoughts on that yeah i think uh well, the message isn't outdated i think we're trying to be too progressive in our own selves i think we're just trying to be like well we know we just that was so far outdated we're just there's modern times here we got things to do there's a lot of modern activities we can be doing. And I think we're trying to be too progressive in our own attitude. So that's, yeah. A good thing.
0: And, and I really think that men are kind of arrogant, you know, that mm-hmm. we assume that we're so far advanced, mm-hmm. you know, we're so intellectually superior. That's just arrogance and, and not true. Um, well, that's kind of like
1: the fellow that y'all interviewed here one time uh, and was discussing, I forget what religious group he was with, but they was discussing homosexuality and whatnot. And you ask him, did you did you figure, did he figure that he knew more about human sexuality than God did or that Jesus did yeah. when he was here? And he said yes. Yeah,
0: he I said, about fell over <laughs> when he said that. <laughs> I didn't know what I did, too. That was a Presbyterian preacher yeah. from Nashville who said, he, yeah, he, uh, on that subject, he sure he knew more than Jesus yeah. knew. Amazing. um uh, Kent in Georgia has said, Neither the gospel of Christ nor the work that Christ has assigned to the local church is antiquated. The gospel of Christ is the only means of salvation, Romans one sixteen and 17. To change the message brings condemnation, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. The work or mission of the local church is clearly defined, evangelism, edification, and qualified benevolence. When a local church fails in such areas, they fail to accomplish what the Lord would have them to do. If they go beyond these areas and accomplish more than what is authorized, they also reject the authority of Christ. Colossians three seventeen, Second John verses nine and eleven. Mohan in Chicago says, no, it is the gospel, the Bible, that is the power for the church to remain faithful. And I think that's exactly right. So, it's not an outdated message or mission. Uh, what is it? What, what is the cause? Why are churches dying? We're gonna offer some suggestions and then we're gonna, we're gonna look to Uh, our listeners to see what some suggestions they might have stay with us we're going to take a break and when we come back from this uh, we'll look at what are some of the actual reasons the real reasons why churches die stay
5: with us
2: you won't want to miss what we talk about next the discussion continues right after these important messages
5: This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime.
0: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Robert Turner. The fat is in the sun and we might add in the fire for all those who question the various stages of undress seen in the stores and on the streets these days. The more angular and misshapen the woman, the more knobby need the man, the less propriety and modesty is shown and no one blushes. Jeremiah prophesied against Jerusalem, saying, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Jeremiah six, verse 15. They could not blush. It is a terrible thing when a people can no longer blush. It means there's no sense of shame. The conscience is seared. They have lowered their standards that abominations appear acceptable. Self-respect has been destroyed. There's no personal pride to urge them to better, higher, more noble attainments. Their moral slip shows, and they couldn't care less. Further, they frequently compound their degradation by a blasé smugness, as though their calloused hearts were marks of high honor. He who blushes should one happen to do so, is a square or maybe a cube. Once my wife and I visited a woman whose attire was almost non-existent. We were so embarrassed for her that we sought to excuse ourselves, but apparently she thought her clothing perfectly adequate. She sat chatting gaily while her three-year-old, wearing training panties, walked into the room. Then she rushed the child away with a spat, saying, you know better than to come in here undressed like that. I suppose psychology has some explanation for it. Paul commends shamefastness, a word meaning bound or controlled by a sense of shame or modesty. As a bedfast person is bound to the bed by physical disability, so a shamefast person has a built-in sense of right or propriety that binds and forbids appearing in public carelessly or improperly clothed. When a friend of mine commented on the gross immodesty that prevailed in a western resort city, he was told, quote, after a while, you get used to it. My friend replied that he hoped he did not. Getting used to something that degrades character and lowers moral standards is no inducement to one who can still blush and is proud of it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
2: A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys.
0: And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee, each week on Thursday at this same time. And we'd love for you to always make a note to join us for the Virtual Bible Study on Thursday night. But if you're within driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, we want you to come and visit us in person. Uh, You can find out more about the College View Church of Christ at our website, collegeview.com. I always have to remind people, and I don't know who came up with this spelling, but it's a weird way to spell College View. It's college, C-O-L-L-E-G-E, but then all one word, the last of it is V-U-E, college view, uh, so it's spelled a little bit funny. I've had people ask, wonder why that name. Actually, the name makes sense because we are right across the highway from the big Columbia State Community College, which is the largest community college in the state of Tennessee. Uh, And so you can view the college from here, Monty. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's it's a reasonable name, just spelled a little bit funny. But if you're anywhere near to Columbia, Tennessee, or if you're traveling and get a chance to come our way, by all means, come and visit us at the College View Church of Christ. Go to our website. There's a lot of resources there that might be helpful to you in your Bible studies as well. And also here on the on our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Of course, those two sites are linked together. But on the website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, we've got archives of all of our past programs. We've got audio archives. We've got a lot of, of uh, video archives there as well. Uh, but we've got audio archives of all of our past programs. We've been doing this program for over 15 years, and you can kind of do a search there uh, of the titles of the various programs we've had over that long period of time, and you very well might find something there that might be a help to you if you're studying some specific Bible subject. So, again, uh, we want you to uh, take advantage of all that's available there, collegeview.com and thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Well, as we continue our discussion about why churches die, I ask for comments about three areas, money, and I think there are a whole lot more. What about compromise? What does compromise do to uh, a local church? For instance, this marriage, divorce, and remarriage thing has become a real problem. And there's a lot of people that, that have divorce issues in in their family in their life history. And if we take a hard line on the divorce question, Monty, then people will probably not come. And therefore, it might be advisable for us to water that down a little bit, not 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 take such a hard line position on something like divorce and remarriage, or maybe even, you know, homosexuality. I mean, that's boy, who would have thought? 25 years ago, if you have told me that homosexuality would be at the forefront in societal news as it is today, I would have told you I didn't think so. Yeah. Or uh, what about drinking? You know, it, just social drinking is very in vogue, you know, to, to be able to drink a little alcohol, you know. And uh, if we take a hard line saying no drinking alcohol at all, that's going to turn people off. Uh, And the the church may very well die if you, Monty, keep insisting that we take these hard lines on these positions. Well, the problem is
1: God's word is clear. If we can understand the English language and understand how the grammatical construction is, we can do a really good job of understanding what the words that God has written down for us mean. I mean, if we've got a dictionary and can understand grammatical construction, we can see what the Bible says. And God hadn't written us no new Bible in the last 2,000 years. And so if we were going to compromise and change our position, I heard of someone said about a particular subject related to marriage and divorce one time, well, the Church of Christ is going to have to change its position on this. Well, the only way we can change our position is we've got to have revelation from God. And the New Testament tells us that those days are over. God's not revealing nothing new to us nowadays. So we've got this one book, and it says the same thing that it's always said. And so we can't change but the problem you run into with compromise, because let's say uh, marriage and divorce, uh, unscriptural marriage and divorce was a problem to me, and we had to compromise on that. Well, then on the next thing that comes along, somebody else is going to want to compromise over there. And so ultimately we get to the point that we really don't have any rules to go by. We don't have a standard to go by. It's just whatever we want to do. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, what I want to do is go fishing. We ain't coming to church no more. We'll, we'll just pretend that we're worshiping on the lake or something and, and go and do what we want to do because that's just as good a compromise as any of these other
0: things. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. If if we start to bend the rules or violate the authority of the God's expressed will in the new Testament, we've opened the door and there's no stopping hmm. place. You know, uh, Sunday, Sunday th- this Sunday worship thing it really puts me in a bind.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Could we not do it on maybe Saturday night and then leave the whole day Sunday open? You know. Well, if you let if you let me do that, like you said then you can do whatever you want. God mandates a meeting to observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Mm-hmm. I can't change that. We can't compromise. You know, but what's interesting, most people now, there are some exceptions, but most people say, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. If you can compromise any, you can yeah. compromise all. And I, I think that's the, that's just the way we have to look at it. In Jude, verse 3, Jude says, I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation but it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Mm-hmm. That's the King James Version. I think newer versions, I like the newer versions that say actually once for all delivered to saints. It's a one-time finished deal. You got the new King James there. Yeah. Does it say once for all? Which
1: was once for all delivered yeah. to the saints.
0: No, it's it's done. It's yeah. it's not changeable. Uh, Paul said in Philippians one seventeen, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Mm-hmm. No, he wasn't going to compromise. You get the idea. That the apostle Paul wasn't in compromising business. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about the seven churches of Asia, and I, I, I'm, I have a note here about one of them, Pergamus. In Revelation 2, beginning verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Well, if you stopped right there, it sounded really yeah. good. I mean, that church sounded, I mean, they were in a hot spot and they were still holding fast his name. Uh, even one of their members had, had been martyred. They had been mm-hmm. killed for the cause. He says, you live right where Satan dwells. He said, but, and then he goes on, but I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast thou there, them that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. See, so that something? Here's a church that had been faithful under persecution, even to the point that one of their members had been martyred. But Jesus said, I have, I'm have. i going to punish you. Why? Because of doctrine. Because mm-hmm. they hadn't been sound in doctrine. they have been compromising with doctrinal things. So, you know, I think a lot of people, ah, doctrine, that's not that big of a deal. You know, being sound in doctrine is not all that critical. Jesus said it was. Yeah. It really did. Kyle, any thoughts on that?
3: Uh, yes. I mean, our doctrine, this is, churches can and will die. I mean, if, I think churches, we've known churches who've, once we know them, we're sound, and they're just drifting piece by piece, little by little, they let that little gray area in, and now it's become a huge, wide yeah. swath of just anything goes. So it's just
0: uh, yeah, just like we were saying, you open the door, there's no yeah. there's no real stopping place once you begin that compromising process. Kent in Georgia says compromise perverts the message of truth, thus leading individuals into sin and out of fellowship with God. First John, chapter one, verse six. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see if we got any other comments. Okay, uh, Dwight says, and Dwight's in Iowa and in the chat room. He says compromise will to destroy a church by dividing it. He mentioned subjects like modesty, alcohol, marriage, divorce, remarriage, church discipline. Those are some hot button topics, mm-hmm. and people on those and a lot of others, people want to just kind of water it down, mm-hmm. compromise with it. He goes on to say, I've heard that it that if we tolerate, we accept. Uh, we use, then practice. In other words, it's a process. Yeah. At first, you just sort of tolerate it. Now, I'm going to tolerate this drinking thing, this social drink. I I'll don't just, like it. I, but I, I don't do it myself, but but I, I'm not going to speak out against <clears> it. <throat> so first we tolerate it, then we embrace it, mm-hmm. and then we begin to practice it. Yeah. And, and and you and I have known people yes. who, who began down that process, and that's where they are now. Mm-hmm so it's a, it's a sad progression but it's it definitely is described in the scripture so compromise is going to hurt the church we're not going to have a leg to stand on and it will cause churches to die if we compromise god's truth now someone says well i've known of some churches that take those softer views and they're actually growing in numbers their numbers are increasing well actually like Jesus said to one of the churches of Asia, "Thou hast a name that thou livest, but art dead." Mm-hmm. They died. They, they died. Uh, they may still have, the corpse may still be out there breathing, but they, they're spiritually dead.
1: You know, and we tend to do th- too many things today looking at the numbers. Uh, numbers are good because we want to save as many people as we can. We want to help as many people as we can go to heaven. But we, it, it's quality and not quantity that counts. Uh, if we've got the proper quality and we're and we're scripturally sound then we're going to help people go to heaven but when we would dilute it and we change the message if we teach what we read about in the new testament we stand firmly on it then we're going to be what those people was paul told timothy to go and teach other men sound men that could teach the message itself so he was preaching a process of duplication you do it, teach other people to do it, who can teach other people to do that same thing. So if we're doing the same thing that they were, we'll be what they were, and that was Christians. But when we start compromising, we're teaching something different now, Yeah. if that's what we're doing. And then that means that we're not what they were. Yeah. We may look a lot like them. We may act a lot like them, but we're not really what they were. So that's what compromise gets us. It it fools us into thinking we're Christians when we're really not. We talked about last night in class that the disciples was first called Christians in Antioch. Well, the Bible defines what a Christian is. It's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, what's a disciple? It's somebody that patterns their self after a certain belief system or, or teaching. All right, if I haven't patterned myself, if I've compromised on something doctrinal, then I've quit patterning myself after that I'm not a disciple anymore, so therefore I'm not a Christian anymore, logically speaking.
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. <clears throat> Let's grab our last break. We've got several more things to talk about, reasons why churches die. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this break.
2: Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement.
5: I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, And active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, Matthew five sixteen. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results our own common sense, and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God.
0: We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. At the height of the coronavirus crisis, a survey found that more than 90% of regular churchgoers in the United States said their churches had closed their doors to combat the spread of the virus, with the vast majority saying that worship services had moved entirely online. Now the fear is that the shutdowns have weakened church connections. A follow-up survey has found that one-third or more of those who had previously attended church regularly were not bothering to watch online services. For those whose church affiliation was already tenuous, the disconnect may be permanent. That information is via Public Religion Research Institute. The Word of God says in Matthew 13, verse 15, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed
2: broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys.
0: We're back on the Virtual Bible Study, going to the top of the hour, talking about why churches die. We've all known churches that have gone out of existence. And as we were just saying, Monty, churches may still, the doors may still open, but they may be dead even if they're mm-hmm. still in a, a meeting, if there's still, still a activity going on there, but it's not the spiritual activity of God's true people. And, and so churches can die even if they continue to yeah. exist in that sense. So, all right. I had a couple of things, and then I wanted to get to what some of our... uh uh, emailers uh, had suggested as other things, indifference, just just general apathy, mm-hmm. can cause churches to die. And of course, the classic example of that is the church at Laodicea, in in Revelation three, beginning verse fifteen. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So the the church at Laodicea was the classic indifferent church, mm-hmm. lukewarm. And I got to say, I think unfortunately a lot of times churches get that way. Yeah. And and I, I, it, go ahead.
1: It's kind of easy for them to do it, I guess, because they're not really got their focus where it ought to be. And, but we've got to Examine ourselves to make sure that's not how we are. We need to have be zealous for God's word. We need to have the attitude Paul had that no matter what happens, we're going to be faithful servants of God.
0: Exactly right. Dwight in Iowa says indifference is a big issue because people won't want to stand up for the truth. Mm-hmm. They're indifferent to it. I think that's right. Brian in California says much of the indifference is just not knowing the word. It references Hosea 4, verse 6, My people are to perish for lack of knowledge. I do think that there's... I think there's a general lack of knowledge among God's people these Mm -hmm. days. You know, we used to be known as people of the book. And very often, denominational folks didn't want to engage us in in a religious discussion because they knew we'd pull out our Bibles and start referencing Scripture to them. I don't think we have that reputation so much anymore, and that's bad.
1: Well, I don't think we have the reputation so much. And I think now when we try to discuss things with denominational people, they've got that attitude of indifference that it really don't matter. You know, you do what you want to do and we'll do what we want to do and we'll all be happy and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Well, they're indifferent about things and we need to not have that attitude. Yeah, exactly right. Uh,
0: Kent says indifference destroys the willingness of of Christians to engage in divine obligations both individually and collectively as the local church. Uh, So he says Indifference is going to obviously keep us from being active and doing Mm -hmm. what God wants us to do. And then I had one other thing real quickly. What about failed leadership in a a church? That can lead to death, I think, for sure. Paul addressed the elders at at the church at Ephesus, which is one of those seven churches of Asia, one of those churches that we think obviously died. Mm -hmm. And he warned that their leadership. Could be a problem. Bad mm-hmm. leadership. Uh, Acts twenty, beginning verse twenty-eight. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember. Jesus warned the, or I mean uh, Paul rather warned the the leaders that their failed work could be devastating to the church.
1: I think in 3 John, in about verse 9, John says he wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. And he goes on to talk about that some more. But apparently Diotrephes was a person in some type of leadership position there and wanted to be and he wanted to be the man in charge. So he had failed to be the type of leader that he needed to be and was not even going to the point that he wouldn't let them receive other brethren that came from other places. Yeah, excluded. So
0: there was a problem with the leadership there. Exactly right. Um, Kent says failed leadership is dangerous due to the fact that the local church will never be any stronger than the leadership. Mm -hmm. Pretty good observation, I think. All right. Let me go quickly to some of these other comments. Th- those were three suggestions. I think are all serious things to consider: compromise, indifference, failed leadership. Let me go back, if I can get back up here, Monty. I want to. I want to go back to something that Brian said. Uh, uh, Brian in California said, "I see congregations declining as a result of having lost their children." The succeeding generation, in other words, one generation, the next is not faithful. The allure of the world is taking them away. So, a failure to 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 really try to save our own families, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think when we start to think about that, you know, I, I'm interested in lost people. I'm interested in lost people in the world. Uh, on the other side of the world, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, people in Africa, India, China. And we need to get the gospel to these lost people. Absolutely right. But we can't lose sight of the people that we probably have the best chance of reaching are our own. And and we got, we need to reach them first.
1: You know, we see examples of that, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, we see King David. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart. He done his best to try to faithfully serve God. Then we see his son Absalom was a real heathen. Yeah. And then we go to King Solomon. He he started out well, and he was doing the things God would have him do. But then his son was, reborn, yeah, Uh just made a terrible mess of things as far as a leader went. He wasn't a, doing what he needed to do, and so and we can see that that was as, repeated several times throughout as we the go kings. through the kings. King. We yeah. see we'll see a good king that done really good, and then his son turns out to be a real heathen. And so I think that's telling us a lesson that yes, other people need to be taught, but we that doesn't mean we can focus so much on that that we neglect to train and teach our own children. Because that really, I guess from a physical way of looking at it, should be the most important to us that we teach our children. I mean, we love them.
0: They're dear to us. Exactly. And we need to make sure that we're teaching them. Exactly right. Um, Mohan in Chicago says, Not taking a stand during times of persecution can cause the death of the church. Also, too much entertainment in the church, less (laughs) Bible-related activities may cause a false zeal. In the church, I think that's a good observation. Kent says, I can think of situations that may develop in a community where the dynamics may change and it is of no fault at all for the, of the local church. There are times where communities may cease to grow, individuals may move away, or conditions may deteriorate where such makes it impossible for a local church to develop in such a way as to maintain numerical growth. In order to survive, some local churches are even forced to relocate where more people will be found and the surroundings give a greater opportunity for New Testament evangelism to be practiced. That's what we were saying mm-hmm. earlier. You know, there could be some non-sinful or there could be some problems not related to spiritual issues They could cause a church to just diminish and ultimately die because the community died around them.
1: You know, I know of a a little town in Wyoming called Buford, Wyoming, and I had a postcard from there that we picked up. We stopped there to get fuel one time, and it said Buford, Wyoming, population two. Well, the guy in the store there said it's actually population one now. His son had moved away (laughs) when he went to college. But what it was at one time, that was a thriving oil community or coal community or something like that. But their well, whatever their market there was had dried up, and everybody left. So it was down to just that one man and his son. And when we were there, just the one man was the only person that actually lived in that community. So we can see that that kind of thing happens. And if there's only one of you there, it's going to be kind of hard to have a church and do <laughs> exactly. <too> much evangelism.
0: <laughs> exactly right. i got to go real quick. I, got, I picked off some comments that we got on our Facebook page today. I thought they were good, and we don't have a lot of time to develop them. But one lady said, gossip, jealousy, disagreements personal conflict yeah. that we don't address and don't deal with yeah are there going to be are there going to be personality problems in a local sure. church of course that we're in first century churches but there's a right way to handle them mm-hmm. if we don't handle them right it causes a problem that can divide the church and cause its demise uh, my friend reggie up in indiana said christians are colorblind they don't see that the harvest is white mm-hmm. in other words we don't see our opportunities especially in the realm of evangelism we're surrounded by evangelistic opportunities if we're blind to those, probably going to hurt us, our, and 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 we may die. Um, and then another lady said, lack of unity, which we just mentioned, lies, gossip within the congregation, being milk fed repeatedly threats and demands and labeling people who don't follow the threats and demands, leadership that doesn't believe in the prophecy of the Bible, repetitive sermons on who Jesus is when it should be about preparing. I'm not sure I get that. But uh, it
1: seems uh, like it's maybe to what, like we've talked about. People say the man, not the plan.
0: Maybe They're so. They're all
1: concerned about who he is, you know, just the man and not really about what he taught.
0: You may be right about that. She mentions some churches are actively uh, incorporating gay members. hmm that that's anti-biblical, obviously. That's so. If you don't die literally, you'll die spiritually. Yeah. Uh, the church not standing for the word of God, uh, and the church looking just like the world. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's no distinction between the church and the world around us. We might as well cease to exist. Yeah. So all good all good thoughts there. I think we are out of time, but. Again, Monty, our our concept was churches die. Mm-hmm. You want you want this church to die? Do I want the church where I'm a member to die? We need to be perceptive of the danger. We got to examine ourselves. Exactly right. Exactly right. Kyle, any final thoughts, man?
3: Yeah, it's a good uh, good study. I think uh, churches can die a spiritual death, like you said. So we have to make sure that we're. Do what the Bible tells us, too. I think we can grow numerically and spiritually if we do what the Bible tells us. So. All
0: right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for being there and running the board for us. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Lord willing, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, in the meantime, read and study your Bible every day. Live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening.